A couple of years ago, neurosurgeon Teresa Persner and her neurosurgeon husband, Jamie, stepped away from their medical residencies in Canada to work in a Stanford University lab on a heartbreaking medical problem, pediatric brain tumors. Their work resulted in a promising drug treatment for certain brain tumors called neuroblastomas in children. Teresa, Dr. Persner, said this, There are 101 valid reasons to not do what we did, and a hundred more reasons why we should have failed once we decided to do it. It is just such a huge relief to get to this point and know that I did what I came to do. There were more than 101 obstacles to the fulfillment of Jesus' mission on earth. But on a dark Friday afternoon, he declared, I did what I came to do. It is finished, he said, and he hung his head and died. It is finished was not his declaration of early retirement. Jesus didn't buy a condo in South Florida, stock up on Bermuda shorts, and take up shuffleboard. He, by his spirit, is active in the world, transforming those who will surrender to him, and present with you wherever you are. He is not done. But his work of making possible our freedom from the power of our, our sinful nature and the, the eternal penalty of our sinful choices, that was done. And that is a long story, a mysterious story. So here's the Cliff's Notes version of that mysterious story. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. After he had finished with the birds and the bees and the flowers and the trees and the moon up above, he, he created humans, he created us in his own image. But the evil one tempted Adam and Eve and they crossed the one line God had drawn for them. In that moment, evil, death, and suffering came rushing into what had been a pure and pristine world. That dramatic, traumatic event is referred to as the fall. From that moment, every baby would be born into an imperfect world and would have a, well, a sinful nature, an overwhelming tendency to do the wrong thing. After the fall, God had a mess on his hands. Not that he couldn't see it coming, but, but a mess nonetheless. For a long time, God waited for humans to wise up and follow his plans, but few did. Well, some did. Noah of Noah and the Ark fame was one, but, but not a bunch. The world was a mess. So God decided to set aside a, a people group, a group of people who would follow his directions and reflect his character. They would love and obey him and point all people to him. But because they were people like us, the people of Israel didn't always do so well. The people of Israel had an, an on-again, off-again roller coaster relationship with God. Again, like most of us. Eventually, about 700 years before Christ, two prophets, Isaiah and Micah, declared that God's plan was unfolding in a way that no one had anticipated. It was not plan B. Rather, God's plan was, was unfinished, and it was taking an unexpected turn. The new chapter in the story God was writing would center around, around one figure, not, a, not, a, not just a nation, but, but a solitary figure from that nation, 
Not just another prophet or king. Rather, this would be the Messiah, a, a deliverer, a redeemer. And the people of Israel began to long for, to cry and pray for that figure. Then, and this is where the Christian faith gets really hard for lots of people. Then God himself decided to take on human flesh. God the Son, the second person of the Trinity, of the Father, Son, and Spirit, moved into our world. The child grew into a man, and about the age of 30, he went public with his purposes. And since he was God on earth in the flesh on a mission, those three years were spectacular. Storms were stilled. Demons were dispensed with. Pecking orders were turned upside down, and greatness was redefined. The hopeless found hope. The helpless found help. The loveless found love. And in a few cases, the lifeless found life again. And then at the end of about three years, Jesus was set up by religious leaders who felt he was invading their turf. After a sham of a trial and a shameless beating, he was sentenced to death on a Roman cross. Our diamond-studded, polished gold, varnished wood crosses belie the horror of the real thing. No death was as agonizing, as humiliating, as tortuous, as vindictive, as pitiless, as malicious, as merciless, as painful, and as frightening as crucifixion. The crosses were not, were not the tall structures so often depicted in paintings. They were low enough that passersby could, could get an up-close and hideously personal view of crucifixion. The message was, was cruelly and intentionally clear. Don't mess with Rome. And on a Roman cross on a hill outside the walls of ancient Jerusalem, on a Friday afternoon, Jesus, God the Son, second person of the Trinity, endured the excruciating cruelty of a Roman, Roman crucifixion and worse, the hell of our sin. In Isaiah 53, there's the powerful depiction of the suffering of Jesus on our behalf. And verse, verse 10 reads, It's what God had in mind all along. It is what He came to do. I imagine the angels watching this mysterious plan of the ages unfold and watching from the balconies and box seats of heaven. I imagine the angels watching the scene first in Bethlehem where the drama of dramas opened. Maybe they oohed and awed. They watched him grow and, and then minister as a teacher, healer, and forgiver. The angels watched as the greatest story ever told neared its climax during the last night of that historic week in Jerusalem. They watched in horror as Judas betrayed him, soldiers arrested him, Peter denied him, the court mocked him, the soldiers beat him, Pilate sentenced him, the crowds betrayed him, his disciples abandoned him, the executioners crucified him, his mother mourned him, and Joseph and Nicodemus buried him. As I imagine it, all of heaven must have fallen silent. But as, as I imagine it, one of them broke the silence and said, let's not forget, this is what he went to do. Yes, that's right. The angels began to reassure each other, this is, this is what he, he went to do. We've always known that. That was why the Son of God left heaven in the first place. Remember what he said when he laid aside his robe and crown and took his place in Mary's womb? This is what he went to do. 
The angels' gloom turned to gladness, their laments turned to laughs, and they danced and sang. And somebody brought out a big cake, an angel food cake, of course, and they had a party. Of course, news already had spread that come Sunday, the one whose cold, lifeless body had been laid in a borrowed tomb would walk straight and strong out of that tomb. But their celebration was for more than that. Jesus had fulfilled his mission. Jesus had come for the cross. This week I spoke with Hal Winton, and you're going to see part of that conversation in a few minutes. As we were walking around his house, Hal told me about a friend of theirs, Anne Van Hine. Anne's husband, Bruce, was a New York City firefighter. Bruce ran into the South Tower of the World Trade Center on September 11, 2001, after the ta terrorist attack, and, and Bruce did not come out alive. I watched a YouTube video of Anne speaking in the chapel of Eastern Nazarene College. She talked about the commitment of the New York City firefighters, a commitment that preceded 9-11. Those firefighters had prepared for just such an occasion. And she said, the decision to go into those buildings on September 11 was made long before September 11. Just like, she said, just like the decision of Christ to go to the cross was made long before the Garden of Gethsemane. Her point, Jesus' death on the cross, was what he, he was prepared for. That's what he came to do. And that's why he said, it is finished. This week, I spoke with Hal Winton. Hal and Barbara began worshiping with us as just like you are, by internet and TV. And they believed God was drawing them to First Baptist Huntsville. They have become official members of our church. They have completed our membership class, and, and they'll be with us in person worship when it's safe. But they never have been with us in in-person worship, with the exception of our living Christmas tree. <laughs> That's a cool thing. But here's why I wanted you to hear their story. You said to me on the phone once that you had this really uh, interesting view about the scales or the division heaven. of yeah, yeah. human. Tell us about that. Okay, so I was raised as what I would call a nominal believer in God. Uh, my parents went to church. I went to church. I was confirmed in church. Um, but it wasn't really a gospel preaching church. There wasn't a church that uh, understood and preached the gospel as the New Testament preaches it and says it. And so I had this idea in my head that if you were a good person, you went to heaven. And if you weren't a good person, you didn't go to heaven. And good was defined as above average. So in mathematical terms, God had a 50 percentile line. <laughs> and if you were above that line, you went to heaven. If you weren't below above that line, you didn't. Yeah. And I was a pretty good kid in high school and growing up, and I always thought I was above the line. That's a very comforting notion. Um, but I got to college and uh, off on my own, away from my parents' influence, and I began developing habits that I hadn't before. Um, it was hard where I went to school to uh, 
get alcohol, but it, you could get it every once in a while, like when you went into New York City for a parade or when you, you went into New York City for a football game. And I found out that uh, people in New York like to buy liquor for cadets who were walking around in the evening. Because you were at West Point. Yes, I was. Yeah. And uh, I got pretty plastered a couple times. And I figured out that uh, I was not who I thought I was. So it, be, it became an uncomforting notion. And then, uh, sort of simultaneously with all that. So you were afraid you were falling below the line. Oh, yeah, I was. Yeah. <laughs> and then I went to uh, informal chapel service in the morning, hosted by cadets, where cadets did the talk and not chaplains but cadets who knew Jesus Christ as their savior. And I found out from listening to them that there was very bad news indeed. We were all below the line. We are all <laughs> yeah. below the line. Yeah. Uh, we are all below the line. Uh, the Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And then there's, then there's the good news. There's the gospel. And the good news is Christ died to save us from our sins and if you accept that and believe in that and follow Jesus, uh, he makes you above the line whether you are or not. Uh. Yeah, uh, it's called atonement or substitutionary death or yeah. whatever you want. There's lots of names we for took it. our place. Yeah, salvation. But it, it comes with a catch. And the catch is you have to believe and then you have to follow Christ. And... I was enjoying the way I was, and I didn't want to give in. I didn't want to accept that salvation. So you know in C.S. Lewis' book, uh, Mere Christianity, he talks about how the hound of heaven tracked him down. Mm -hmm. The hound of heaven came after me. Wow. And um, finally one night, quietly in my room, I said, Lord, I, I literally do not even know if, I didn't use the word literally, I said, Lord, I don't even know if you're out there, but if you are, will you come into my life? Oh my goodness, Al. And he did, and I didn't feel any earth-shattering change. It was slow, it was gradual. Uh, friends I was attending a Bible study with nurtured me and helped me grow and helped me see what I needed to do, and the Lord himself worked in my heart, and he changed me. It is finished, Jesus cried. It was that which was in the heart of God from before time. It was that which was promised when God said to Abraham in Genesis 12, I will make of you a great nation, and all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through them. It was that which was prophesied 700 years earlier by Isaiah when when he spoke of the suffering servant being led like a lamb to slaughter. It was that of which the angel spoke when he suddenly appeared to, in the quarters of a teenage virgin named Mary, and he said to her, You're going to have a son. And then appeared to Joseph and said, You will call the baby boy Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. It is finished, he said, and he hung his head and died. It, 
history's most powerful act of love was completed. That kind of love seems so unusual to us, especially to those of us who feel dirty and unworthy of such love. But the love Jesus demonstrated on the cross is, in fact, a, a special kind of love. On the cross, we see grace, God's unconditional, undeserved, unlimited, unrelenting love. A love that we don't deserve, a love we cannot earn, a love that has no limits, and a love that will not give up on us, like the hound of heaven, as Hal Winton said. It is finished, cried Jesus. He had opened up his arms and loved us with all his heart. That is what Jesus came to do.